those are general principles about finances. And now I want to talk uh, for a while about how do you get money biblically? Uh, how do you acquire money? How do you acquire wealth? And here are some money myths. Maybe you can tell me why it's a myth. Work is a curse. Why is that a myth? Because God put us to work in the garden. He commands in the fourth commandment that we work. Uh, you can learn the secret to making lots of money quickly without having to work hard. Well, the Proverbs warn a lot again. A lot of warnings in the Proverbs against rich, get-rich-quick scheme. We're going to see that prosperity comes by hard labor and valuable skill. A college degree is the ticket to a lifetime of earnings. Yeah, not necessarily. There are a lot of college graduates who are looking for minimum wage jobs in retail right now, uh, depending on what they majored in and other such factors. Uh, that's no longer true. If you go to college, you should just major in what you love. Uh, again, the last time I was at the mall, I didn't see many history shops. <laughs> um, I'm not saying it's wrong to major in history, but I'm saying you better have a plan for what you're going to do with it. Uh, I do see the engineers doing pretty well. Um, Everyone should have a job he loves, and if you don't love your job, quit. Well, that would be really foolish to quit a job right now, wouldn't it? I'd, I'd love for everyone to have a job. I love my job, and I'm blessed. But the curse is sometimes you have to do what it takes to take care of your family, and it may not always be fun. Uh, it's more fair for everyone to share equally in the community's outbook. You know, to each according to his ability, to each according to, from each according to his ability, to each according to his need. Quoting from Atlas Shrugged. No, uh, the Bible supports private property and blessings to those who work hard. The early church practiced a form of communism. Not at all, actually. Whatever people gave, they gave willingly. Uh, it was not enforced upon them. Best way to get rich is to win the lottery. That's a myth a lot of people believe. They think the only way to financial security for them is to buy lottery tickets. And then the, the health and wealth. God wants all of His children to be rich. Uh, and, and these crackpots like Benny Hinn and others who claim, uh, Kenneth Hagin, Kenneth Copeland, some of these people, that God wants you to have your best life now. And then if you just pray the prayer of faith, your debt will all go away, and you'll live in a mansion, and it'll all be easy. Read the New Testament, okay? The author of the Hebrews says, You suffered willingly and gladly the confiscation of your property. The people to whom James writes are living as refugees. James doesn't say, I rebuke you for your lack of faith. You should all be living in palaces, driving gold-plated chariots or something. No. Our best life is later. God's people may suffer in this life. There is no promise in the Bible that if you follow some formula, you're going to be rich in this life. Again, Go to India. Fellowship with our brothers and sisters in China. Read the New Testament. Uh, legitimate sources of income that are mentioned specifically in the Bible include earnings from work, an inheritance, a return on an investment, and receiving gifts from others. Uh, we're going to focus on the work part because that's the one you can be sure of. You don't know if anybody's going to give you a gift, and that inheritance may be a long ways away. Um, the theology work, first of all, God works, right? 
First chapter of the Bible, God worked for six days, then He rested on the seventh day. Jesus said, my Father is working till now, and I myself am working. And when you read in Genesis, before the fall, the Lord put the man in the garden and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. So before mankind fell, we were not put here to, you know, kind of sit back on a hammock and have grapes fall into our mouths or something. We were put here to labor in the image of God and to subdue the earth. And, and, and He's made us to work. And, and even if you had a pile of money, to spend the rest of your life being lazy would be sinful. God made us to work. And in the, in the fourth commandment, you know, some people argue about the Sabbath day and how do you keep that? I'm not going to deal with that today. I will say you should rest a day a week and not work seven. But He says six days you shall work. Uh, that's part of being in the image of God as well as the resting. And we honor God in our work. Now, sadly, because of sin, work has become toilsome and unpleasant. And, and when Adam fell, the Lord said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you shall eat all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles will grow for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread. Till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. You were dust, and to dust you shall return. And so, why is it that you have cranky bosses? Why is it that equipment breaks? Uh, why is it that, you know, sometimes you have a job and you hate your job, but you can't quit because you've got to pay the bills? It's because of the curse. And you can't be certain to absolutely eliminate that. Uh, now, in, in the New Testament, Christ affects, and to some degree is reversing the effects of the fall, making our work more meaningful. Even as He speaks to slaves, which thankfully none of us are exactly in that position, but He says we can now, as slaves of Christ, do our work uh, from the heart, serving as to the Lord, not to men. Uh, and, and that's very encouraging under the New Covenant. Uh, I think the Bible also teaches that we're going to work in heaven. Look, it says that His bondservants shall serve Him when there is no longer any curse. Again, heaven isn't going to be lying around in a cloud playing a harp or something, unless that's your job. Uh, musician. I don't know what your job is going to be, but we're going to be busy serving God in heaven. Not, you know, Leisure is not a biblical ideal. In spite of the fact in our, you know, in our culture, it's like, okay, you work and work, and if you can retire at 50, and then you can just play golf every day or whatever it is you want to do. That's not a biblical ideal, and that's not what God has made us for. Now, if you can retire when you're 50 and then serve God for 30 or 40 more years without having to be paid, cool. But sitting around is not what God has made us to do. Now, on this section, if there's one thing you get, this is the really crucial point. Everything else is going to be built upon that. And that is, is when I read the book of Proverbs, the basic principle is work hard and work smart to gain wealth. And, and there's this formula, the hand of the diligent makes rich. Hard work will make you rich. But there's another factor, and that is skill. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. And I'll translate this into our culture, okay? Um, you can say, okay, I'm going to 
be a painter's assistant where I can get $12 an hour stirring paint, carrying buckets, and painting the easy parts. And you can do that for 60 hours a week for $12 an hour and never go beyond that. And how are you going to do financially? Well, you're probably going to stay single, right? Or if you get married, your spouse is going to have to work a whole lot. Uh, you're probably going to be renting and not buying the rest of your life. Life's always going to be a struggle. You may work very, very hard, but because the skill level is very low, and maybe they start you at $9 an hour, you can work up to $12 an hour, but on $12 an hour, even 60 hours a week, it's going to be a bit of a struggle to get by on, your, on one salary, especially if you want to be a man who gets married and provides for a family so your wife can stay at home with the kids, right? But even in the painting field, let's say you now you become a full-fledged painter guy and you can do anything, and now they're paying you $16 an hour. Then you get your contractor's license and you can start bidding jobs and you get other people working for you. And, and now your work is being charged out at $25 an hour, plus you're getting a cut on the other guys what they're doing. And, and suddenly you're making eighty, ninety, hundred thousand dollars $100,000 a year. You're working the same number of hours that you did when you were the $12 an hour guy when you were making $24,000, $25,000 a year. But now you're clearing four times that because you have more skill. Uh, same thing would be, you know, you can say, well, okay, I'm going to get out of school. I'm going to work in a gas station and work in the office there and take people's money and sell them the Coca-Cola and whatever they buy when they buy their gas. And I'm going to do it 80 hours a week. And so they'll pay you $10 an hour. Or you can go to college and become a petroleum engineer and be a person who can find oil and gas deposits. And they're going to pay you $150,000 a year and maybe double that if you go work overseas for a while. Again, same amount of effort, but when you, you acquire a skill that has value, then it pays much more. I, mean, I, I had a friend who was a certain type of attorney, and he was getting like four or $500 an hour for his time because he had a skill that had great value. I remember going to lunch with him one time, and excuse me, I have to take a call from a client, and he spoke to the client about a minute, and he said, well, I just paid for lunch. Um, I have to work more time than that to pay for lunch. I think they're going to give me lunch today, uh, so I'm excited about that. Um, so you want to be one of those people who is, has the stand-before-kings skills in whatever you do. You want to be the best you can be in whatever your field is so that people will be competing for your services so that you will be paid more, which provides more for your family. And, and how do you do that? Well, you, you work on your skills. That could be planning ahead when, when you're a young person to get education that would lead to a higher paying job. It can be learning from others. It doesn't have to be through college. It can be through apprenticeships and, and other, other settings or studying for a contractor's license. And, and, and you have a plan and a path. I, I even think for you know, young women who maybe their ambition in the long run is to be married. But there is no husband yet. And rather than saying, I'm going to go do daycare for $9 an hour, why not acquire a skill so that while you're waiting to get married, you can make $19 an hour instead of $9 an hour. And if, some, if, if God doesn't provide a husband soon, you're doing something more productive. Or if, if God gives you a husband, but then he's disabled or something happens, then you, you have a better skill. Skills are worth acquiring, especially when you're young. Uh, to, as, you, as you have time to prepare for adulthood. And, and, and Proverbs has, has many principles about the, the wise worker. 
in terms of, of ultimately the motive being to serve Christ. But also you have these, these characteristics like in, in Proverbs 6, as go to the ant, O sluggard, right? And it's describing the characteristics of that people are looking for employees now. Having no chief officer or ruler, what does that mean? It means doesn't need constant supervision. Those of you who own companies or have a business, or even if you hire somebody to work on your house, if you have to stand over them all day long and tell them what to do, it's kind of a pain, right? A wise worker doesn't need somebody. He's, the ant is out there doing his thing. Uh, he prepares for the future, gathers provision in the harvest. The ant knows that winter's coming and saves up food. Uh, planning for the future could be preparing for the next career. Um, and then the, the wise worker is patient. He who tills his land will have plenty of food, but he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty and plenty. Uh, get rich quick. Proverbs always saying this. You see these ads on telephone poles. If you own a computer, you can be making $5,000 a month in your spare time. And then when you see things like that, or ads on TV saying, you know, we have the secret to success, and if you just send us $100, we're going to send you a video to tell you how with, without any more education, without any great effort, you can be making $100,000 a year to this amazing opportunity. You should, because you know the book of Proverbs, say, this person is trying to trick me. Uh, the Bible says the way you produce wealth is hard work and skill. And when they say you need no skill and you have very little effort, they're lying. I mean, low-skill work that produces a lot of money is being a thief. That, that works for a while, but it's not allowed. Another principle of income is that when you're skilled at what you do, whatever you produce is actually benefiting the person for whom you're working more than what they're paying you. That, that's how it works. Is that you know, We had our kitchen redone. The people who did it did a great job. And I was happy to pay them for their skills. That you know, they, they gave me something of value, and so I gladly turned loose of my money to them. And, and that's the way we should be with our you know, with anybody you worked for, be it on a particular job, or that you want them to be blessed more than they paid you. And, and you're giving something to them, or you've produced a product, you've made something, be it a work of art, or you're the one who built the cabinet, or whatever you did, and you're you're giving something of great value to the other person. And not offering something of value, something that doesn't take skill, is not in the long run going to provide for your family. Uh, and it's, it's being patient, learning the skill, working hard. Um, and, and those who follow these empty pursuits, meaning get-rich-quick schemes, you can get this franchise opportunity, you can day trade, you can do this, you can do that, you can learn the secret, you'll get plenty of poverty. And, and, and I've counseled people who go from one scheme after the other, and I pity the wife so often. It's the wife who suffers, right? Rather than the guy learning a skill and going out and getting a real job, it's always, oh yeah, my ship's going to come in. This, my DVD's coming, and I've figured out the secret to making money in the stock market now or today, and on they go. Uh, a, a good worker is content with his wages. John told the soldiers to be content with their wages. He is a good steward of his resources. Know the condition of your flocks. Pay attention to your herds, for riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. How would you apply that in our economy? It means if you're a contractor, you have the right tools and you take care of them. 
It means if you're a technology guy, that you keep your training up so you're familiar with the latest versions of Java or whatever the languages you're using in programming and whatever's in your field, that you're, you're organized and, and, and everything is, you know, you're, you're maintaining the sources of your income and not being left behind. Uh, you, you think in terms of doing your work with, with not only diligence, but excellence and, and artistry. And also, you see that what you're doing is significant before God. It's not just laborious and toilsome. Uh, whatever you do, Colossians says, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. This is something that Luther uh, brought out during the Reformation. He said, The milkmaid and the manure hauler have the noblest of vocations, for they are doing God's work in the world. If you ask a little maid why she milks the cow, she can say, I know the work I do pleases God, for I have God's word and command. And she glorifies God in her work as much as the preacher does. The homemaker who stays at home and is diligent with the kids and in the home, even if she's not getting paid economically, does so to the glory of God consciously. And it has meaning because she's doing it for Christ. And, and, and the worker who goes, and maybe he gets up at four in the morning and has to drive an hour and a half to the job site because it's the only place he can find a job. And he, he works ten hours around people who are cussing all day and using the name of the Lord in vain. They don't appreciate his work, and he drags himself home. What, what enables him to do that is, I, I'm doing this for the Lord. And, and he's not just pl- trying to please his boss and make an impression. But it's as if, if, if he's building a house, it's as if Christ is going to dwell there. If he's building a road, as Jesus is going to drive on the road, he does it for the glory of God. That's what the gospel does to our work. To each one of us look at it that way. And I'll also tell you, if that's the attitude you have, you're going to stand out from the other people, aren't you? You'll be one of those who has the stand before kings kind of skill uh, when you serve in that way. And then your work can be satisfying. When God finished what He made, what did He say each time for each day? It was good. It was good. He looked at what He had done with satisfaction. And as we create through our work, we are in the image of God and we can find satisfaction in what we do to His glory. Even if it's the milkmaid or the manure hauler, as Luther said. Uh, Skilled entrepreneurs have potential to acquire great wealth. If you can design a phone that's much better than the iPhone, you're going to make a lot of money and you deserve it because you're providing something of great value to millions of people, right? Um, and, And that's how people have gained wealth. There's nothing wrong with that. Some people have this idea that profit is immoral. Profit is not immoral so long as the person who buys your product or your service is happy to do so and they're benefiting. I mean, the reason people buy iPhones or iPads or whatever is because they, they're they convinced, they freely turn loose of their money because they think the benefits exceed what they paid. I'm not here to debate the fact of that or not. I've got an Android myself. But um, just have to keep it plugged in. That's the only problem. Um, but... You have this funny little verse, Proverbs 31. It talks about this woman. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She senses that her gain is good. See, this woman is a businesswoman. She's buying a field. She produces crops. She sells it. She's making a profit. She's not giving things away at cost. She's making a profit 
which benefits the people who buy from her. It benefits her family. And it's good. God blesses. He rewards the diligent. The hand of the diligent will rule. The slack hand will be put to forced labor. And in, in the context in Ephesians 6, even for slaves and masters, is ultimately our reward is from God. Uh, but you're going to enjoy success in what you do when you work hard and you work smart. Uh, the sluggard has another story. Um, you're going to enjoy the blessings of, of food and of rest. Ecclesiastes says the sleep of the working man is pleasant. Proverbs talks about how you're going to be respected in the community. Um, and economic inequality is part of God's plan. God rewards those who work diligently with skill and save, and He punishes those who are lazy. Uh, Wayne Grudem points out that if you look at North and South Korea, you know one place where it's supposed to be to each according to, from each according to his ability, and to each according to his need. Well, how's that working out in North Korea? They're like in the Stone Age economically. And then you look at South Korea, not a perfect country, but a place where people with, you know, we drive their cars and we watch their TV sets and people with innovation and skill and hard work. And it produces an economy that is multiples better and, and more prosperous. And, and, and even in the New Testament, when, when you see, again, when people did give, it, those who were rich weren't rebuked for being rich. They were told to be generous in good works. They were told that, you know, that was a, the blessing made them responsible for that. And even Ananias and Sapphira, Peter said, you could have kept the money from the property you sold. They weren't put to death for being greedy and holding back the money. What were they put to death for? Lying before the Holy Spirit. And it was the deception of trying to look better than they were. So God's plan includes economic inequality. And then those of us who are rich have responsibility. Even that needs to be exercised carefully because... God doesn't want the rich to help sluggards, uh, which is a, a big problem with much of the help that goes out. And in the book of Proverbs, there's a lot to say about sluggards. And God's design is that sluggards will suffer for their sluggardliness with poverty and shame. And I have counseled quite a few sluggards. And I have to tell you that I pity the wife of a sluggard, the husband of a sluggard, the parents of a sluggard. It's amazing. You know, reading the book of Proverbs and you see these, the sluggard is kind of a comic figure. There's a lion outside. I can't go work today. You know, and, 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 and it's meant to be kind of funny or he's so lazy he won't bring his hand from the dish to his mouth. I mean, and, and you think, that's ridiculous. I've met guys like this, okay? <laughs> I've met guys that were excuse factories. You know, that no matter what job you suggested, no matter what training you suggested, there was always ten reasons why they couldn't do it. They wanted others to take care of them. Um, uh, I, 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 <laughs> this doesn't sound that good. I was out playing golf. So, well, that sounds kind of sluggardly. I'd worked hard <laughs> to get to play golf. And they pair you up with somebody. And I was there with a Christian friend. And uh, they paired up with this guy. And we, kind of, we were saying, well, what do you do? And I, you know, sometimes it would be an opportunity. I, I do know when I introduce myself and what I do, the cussing level kind of drops sometimes. They get a little nervous. But this guy basically said, I don't do anything. I have a, a rich girlfriend. And I live with her. And this guy is you know, about 30. 
And I live here on this golf course. I play golf every day. I've got a great deal. And just what a pathetic life, right? To be a boy toy for some woman who's working. Um, But yeah, what do you see about the sluggard? I passed by the field of the sluggard, by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and I received instruction. And yet, I mean, some of us, if we were to drive by your yard light right now, that verse might bring you under some conviction. Um, but it's also a matter that his yard was his means of production, okay? His land wasn't just to impress the neighbors with green grass and flowers and bushes. It was the place where his living was grown in the ground as the food would grow. And he wasn't taking care of the means of production, is the person who's 30 years old and has minimum wage skills and is working part-time. Um, it's pathetic. And, and the sluggard is a person. He hates work. I've already said the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and he is weary of bringing it to his mouth again. As the door turns on its hinges, so the sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is weary of bringing it to his mouth again. Uh, the couch potato if you will. He's a person who doesn't finish what he starts, the proverb says. He loves sleep. He loves recreation. A little sleep, a little slumber. See, he's even deceiving himself. A little sleep. It's not a little sleep. It's a whole bunch of sleep. It's up playing video games till 3 a.m. and then sleeping past noon. It's what it is. Remember, the, the, the hardworking person uh, didn't need supervision you know, but the sluggard needs. If you do employ this guy, you got to be on him all day long. It's like you got to stand there and watch him. Uh, that's the lion outside. Again, the, the excuses are incredible. Well, I've got this thing wrong with me, or I don't get up well early in the morning, and so I, I can't really apply for a job until after 10 a.m. And you know, I even one guy said, "Well, you know, there's a football game on that day. I really wanted to watch." You're unemployed, <laughs> but he keeps getting a check every month. So who's going to stop him? He procrastinates. The slugger does not plow after autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. He, he doesn't take advantage of the opportunities he has. And, um, and again, they will not admit they are sluggards. This is the thing. You know, when I counsel drunkards, they'll admit they're drunkards. When I counsel adulterers, they'll admit they're adulterers. It's very hard to get someone to admit they're a sluggard. Now, all of you were here at nine, so I can't really accuse you of being big-time sluggards. Um, but in a minute, I'm going to say some of the things don't, not to do when you're seeking work, and that's how sluggards avoid it. You know, they, they put in an application at Home Depot three months ago. They're still waiting to hear back, and they're not going to do anything until then. That's the sluggard. You know, and, and he expects other people to provide for him. That you know, because he didn't plow, now he's begging. Poor me. You ought to help me because I have nothing. Well, you have nothing because you were lazy. Uh, It can be in the home where you have a true counseling case. We have a teenage daughter, hardly working. Actually, I think she's 20-ish. Hardly working, hardly going to school. Every day, Starbucks, iPhone. She comes to daddy and says, Daddy, daddy, my friend's getting married and I need $500 to be able to go and buy the bridesmaid's dress. What should daddy say? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding the hands to rest, and your poverty will come upon you like a vagabond. Now instead, 
out comes the bills because she can't. He can't resist his little daughter. He's the guy who wants the easy money. The sluggard is the one, you know, who follows empty pursuits. He's 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 not willing to do work that's not easy. And in his own pride, he thinks he can be the guy that outsmarts God. God said, work hard, work smart, you'll be okay. But he doesn't want to get training to work smart. He certainly doesn't want to work hard. So he answers the TV, you know, daytime TV ad, quick money fast, or the telephone thing, you can make $5,000 a month day trading on your home computer or entering in data three hours a day or something. Uh, He's a talker not a worker. In uh, in all labor there is profit, and mere talk leads only to poverty. And he is a destroyer. He destroys corporations. He destroys small businesses. He who is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. Now, I want to make a comment here for any of you who are single. You don't realize this right now, perhaps, but one of the most important you know the most important decision you'll make other than believing in Christ is the person whom you marry. When you think about the person whom you marry, I'm going to say that on your top two or three, beyond being a believer who loves Christ, needs to be, is this person diligent? Is this person proven? They don't have to be brilliant. You know, they don't have to be you know, making $500 an hour as patent attorneys or something. But is this a person who will do whatever it takes to work hard? Do they have a track record of diligence? Do not marry a sluggard. Translation, loser. (laughs) And a lazy wife is as much of a pain as a lazy husband. I've seen cases where a man, he drives the hour and a half to work and works the ten hours and drives home through traffic and he gets home and he has to do everything in the house as well because of a self-absorbed wife who was on Facebook all day. Um, You want to marry someone who has godly character when it comes to work. It's very important. A lazy person will destroy a home. God has ordained consequences for laziness. The way of a sluggard is a hedge of thorns. Uh, If you're a sluggard, you're going to lose your job. You're going to be poor. You're going to be disgraced in the community. Uh, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, uh, the proverb says, 13.4. He's going to envy his friends who have college degrees, well-paying careers, businesses, nice possessions. Um, I remember counseling one sluggard. He said, yeah, I, I was married once, but she liked to work and I didn't. It didn't, it didn't happen. <laughs> they want what money can buy. And maybe it is. They'd like to be married, but they can't afford to be married. They're not willing to do what it takes. And biblically, we are told not to be enablers of sluggards. If a man will not work, neither shall he eat, Paul says. Um, God intends their path to be hard if perhaps their appetite, their hunger would urge them on. It's the lack that might motivate the sluggard to get to work. It's interesting when you read about uh, the Old Covenant charity. They did not just hand people money in the Old Covenant. What do they do? Read the book of Ruth, right? You have widows. How, how would the widows get food? They went out and gleaned. And they were told, when you're harvesting your field, don't go through it a second time and don't cut the corners. Leave something for the poor. And then the poor came 
not to be handed bushels of food or much less bread already baked, but through their labor they could gather and survive. And I think the Word of God expresses the wisdom of God in such things, doesn't it? Um, what's happened now, and again, I'm trying to avoid being overly political, <laughs> but a problem with a lot of charity or even government charity is it actually pays people to be sluggardly. Um, I've counseled people who are unmotivated to work until their unemployment runs out. <laughs> Apart from, see, there's a moral issue here, okay? Even if you can get by on unemployment, God made you to work, and other people are paying for your housing and your food. Now, I'm not saying don't take the unemployment if you need it. There are a lot of people having a very hard time getting a job, but if you are getting it, it should not. You know, if you have godly character, you're going to say, I want to be on this as, as short a time as possible, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get off. Even if somebody offers you a job that pays the same as the unemployment. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal, it's actually a cover story in January, of a Mr. Millinger of York, Pennsylvania, who lost his job as a structural steel painter last February. He says he has had no luck finding work. That's what the article says. But then listen to this quote from Mr. Millinger. There are jobs out there if you want to make less than what I'm making on unemployment. But that would put me in a worse spot. I think churches also need to be careful that not all the poor should be helped. We have a particular responsibility for our own, but even for our own. Sometimes deacons need to get involved with these principles. Are you doing all you can to improve your skills and to seek work and to budget your money, uh, help offered graciously at the beginning, but then if things don't change in terms of your responsibility, uh, there may be limits. And then, as I already mentioned, the Bible does not uh, support communism or socialism. Colson, Chuck Colson writes, such utopian thinking leads to tyranny, which is, of course, every place they've tried to impose communism. It has been uh, tyranny. Wayne Grudem writes, the solution to world poverty is business. Uh, people using the skills God has given them, working hard, receiving the benefits of their labors, and that produces wealth for many. It doesn't mean they do it perfectly. Uh, and, of course, nor has God promised that we will all be rich in this life. Jesus had no place to lay his head, he says. Foxes have holes, birds have nests. It's not about wealth here and now. It's not about your best life now. When it comes to making money, be careful. Uh, do not compromise your integrity to gain wealth. A lot of different issues there. I don't think it's right to work seven days a week, even if you can make more money. I think part of the creation ordinance of arrest is that God has made us to rest, and part of the rest is trusting Him and not saying it's all up to me. It's also the way God has made us, and that we're going to burn ourselves out if we don't do that. Uh, likewise, there are other temptations in terms of sacrificing your family, doing things that are questionable biblically in terms of your conscience. Ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished. There's that get-rich-quick scheme, right? A man with an evil eye hastens after wealth and does not know that want, that means poverty, will come upon him. If you want to build financial wealth, gain a skill, work hard, invest carefully, and plan to spend decades doing it. 
It's not going to happen overnight. Wealth gained overnight is lost overnight. This thing's a bit cranky. Um, Proverb also says, differing weights, differing measures, both of them are abomination to the Lord. Um, same idea is that it's cheating people. It means you give eight hours work for eight hours wage, not six hours work for eight hours wage. You can, you can steal by the unjust weight of accepting pay for more than you've done. Or you know, it's actually kind of funny. Bruce Walkey points out that archaeologists find these stones with different measures, one, two, three, uh, five, and, and they don't know what the weights actually represent because so many of the traders would have two sets of weighing stones, one for buying and one for selling. Uh, the, the heavy ones if they're buying and the light ones if they're selling. Uh, they have to, I guess, it's being like a gas pump that was putting out quarts instead of gallons. Um, realize that people are out there trying to cheat you. They're just, because of human depravity, people left, right, and center are trying to deceive you, catch you. There's gotcha clauses and all kinds of different contracts and so-called opportunities, but we certainly shouldn't be among those who do something. There are some jobs a Christian just ought not to take, right? There are some jobs when, when essentially, rather than delivering quality service, quality goods for a fair price, if you're basically tricking people out of their money, go get another job. And then you, you treat those who work for you fairly. Uh, the one who oppresses the poor to make much for himself or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Jesus said the laborer is worthy of his wages. James 5 talks about the judgment will come upon uh, employers who did not pay the wages due to those who were working for them. Now, that's also profound. You, you employ somebody, it could be somebody to do your yard. It could be employing somebody to work on your house. The Bible goes beyond cutthroat capitalism. It's, uh, you know, the fourth commandment also said you're to give your workers rest, Right? Uh, Chick-fil-A is owned by a man who's a Christian, and they're all closed on Sunday. It's kind of cool. And they have a little sign, at least in the South, saying we want our workers to have a day of rest, and we want our workers to be able to go to church. So no Chick-fil-A sandwiches on Sunday. I think that's kind of cool. Um, don't exploit the weak. Taking advantage of people. There's even a proverb that says, he who withholds grain, the people will curse him. Just because you have a monopoly, if you have all the grain in the town, you know, you're in northern Japan right now and you've got a bunch of food and you could jack up the price and make people pay a whole lot of money, but the Bible said that's not just. Sometimes it's beyond mere supply and demand. It's not Darwinian economics. Um, there's a funny verse here. This is my Antiques Roadshow verse. Bad, bad, says the buyer. But when he goes his way, then he boasts. You, know, you walk into a garage sale and you see a 1941 DC comic that you know one just sold for $180,000 and, and the guy wants 50 cents for it and you, you knock him down to a quarter. Um, you know, biblically, you might think about sharing the profits with the guy. And then just not obtaining wealth by fraud. God will destroy sinfully gained wealth. And then, as I already mentioned, don't make worth an don't make your work an idol, neglecting the Lord, your family, uh, and the church. Uh, I've seen places, I've seen people, and it's especially a danger for an entrepreneur. And you have a business, and you're there 14 hours a day, seven days a week, and 
you think you have to do that to survive, or maybe it's doing well and you're wanting to make the money. God gave us a day of rest, and you have a family of other responsibilities other than just making money. So it's kind of the other extreme from the sluggard. You can go the other extreme and become a workaholic, destroy your health, destroy your family. Uh, the first job I had out of college uh, it was workaholics people <laughs> in a firm, a consulting firm. And they were always driving you to work these incredible hours. Well, my supervisor, his supervisor, and his supervisor were all going through divorces. And they were making lots of money, but I wasn't going down the road. Gambling is a foolish way to try to make money. Over $100 billion a year is spent in, in just state lotteries, and then you have casinos and everything else on top of that. It's greed. Jesus said, beware of every form of greed. Uh, there's an ad in the local newspaper, we make, make money the old-fashioned way, win it. It goes against everything I've said in the last hour, doesn't it? The Bible says the way you become wealthy is you gain a skill and you work hard over time. And gambling is an effort to circumvent everything the Bible says about wealth, isn't it? Easy money. It undermines the work ethic. There are so many people in this country now that think the path to wealth is to win it. It's irrational. Uh, Dave Ramsey calls the lottery the stupid tax. Uh, you know, people, you know, again, they put the, on the billboard the people who win, but not the millions and millions of people who lost and uh, the families who are really harmed because the money that should have been spent on bread and maybe health insurance and gasoline has been wasted on lottery tickets. It's a desire to be rich quickly without effort. It, it harms society in terms of gambling in general. Every other crime and evil is you know, drugs, alcohol, theft, prostitution, compulsive gamblers, families having to go on welfare, divorce, Loss of job, suicide. Um, more money is spent on gambling than groceries. And my perspective is there's only two things that can happen when you gamble, and they're both bad. <laughs> right. If you lose, which is almost certain to happen, you've taken the money God has given you to pay for other things, and you've wasted it. And then when you can't make the bills or your credit cards get run up further you're in worse shape than ever. But even worse, if you win, uh, what have you done? You've basically taken money from others without providing benefit. You've contributed to a system which is so destructive. Um, I, one time in my travels, was making a connection. I was either in Las Vegas or Reno. And in these airports, they've got you know <laughs> banks and banks of, banks of slot machines, which is an environment I'm not accustomed to being in. And like maybe some of you, I'm a little curious, and I'm looking at it, and they've got this thing up there like, you know, $11 million prize where all these, every slot machine in the state is connected all together. And I remember the thought occurred to me, what's the harm of putting in whatever it is, 50 cents? Pull the lever once. And then it occurred to me, billboards all over Nevada, pastor wins $11 million jackpot. I'd be worse off. What kind of testimony is that? What I want to do. I mean, we actually had a member one time, he's long gone, but he said he would buy a lottery ticket every week and he would pray that God would bless it and he was going to give the church half the money if he ever won. 
I don't know if he's still buying the tickets. I've not yet heard from him. It's been several years. Um, but it, it's, it's bad stewardship. So what about gambling a little for recreation? You know, Jim, you played golf. That costs $20. Why can't I? Again, to me, it's a wisdom issue in the sense that if, if you're spending, if you're buying a lottery ticket, our church isn't going to put you under discipline. It's a matter of folly. But just ask yourself, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Can you do this to the glory of God? I cannot. Uh, what about investing in the stock market? Isn't that gambling? My wife kind of thinks it is. Uh, there's a difference between investing long term, like actually my wife having said she hated in the stock market, uh, when we travel all over the country except for California and Oregon, uh, they have a restaurant called Cracker Barrel, which is southern cooking with a shop with all these crafts and things. And she actually took some of her retirement money and bought a couple hundred shares of Cracker Barrel. And she's a wizard of Wall Street because it's doubled uh, since she bought it a couple of years ago. But to say, I like the business, I want to invest in the business, and I want to share in their profitability for a long period of time, it is a gamble. You're, you're seeing something and you're participating in the capital that makes the market. But day trading, which I've run into several counselees who say, I've read a book. And it says that if I just follow these 10 simple steps and do options and do this and do that, that I can quit my job and you know, work for an hour a day and make hundreds of thousands of dollars with a $10,000 seed money. And he's like, okay, so you're saying there are people who, who went to Harvard and got MBAs and finance and have studied the stock market all their lives, and you're going to get around the poker table with them, and, and this book says you're going to win. <laughs> it's irrational. And everyone I know who's tried it has done nothing but lose money, even though you argue and you know, every one of those systems has holes in it. Um, how do you get money? You work hard. You work smart. You invest carefully. We'll talk about it later in, in, in a business that is producing something that benefits others. Okay, before we take our break, uh, what do you do? Probably some of you here today are thinking, very good, but I don't have enough money. What can I do to increase income so I can make my budget? First of all, don't try to circumvent God's way of acquiring wealth. The temptation when you're in trouble is to take a shortcut, to try to figure out some secret to tripling your income or quadrupling your income. That secret does not exist. It's skill times effort. And you know, your ship is not going to come in for the easy money. Beware of those who tell you that you be it a franchising opportunity or an investment opportunity. It's more likely to make you poor than rich. It's going to make you worse off rather than better off. What you can do is research career opportunities in businesses. That's diligence. Uh, you know, there are articles, where are the jobs going to be in the next 10 years? Well, is the population ages? Is there going to be more in health care? What do those jobs pay? Uh, how could I become qualified? What programs are offered at the community college that would equip me to do this job or that job? Uh, can even be researching businesses. What businesses might I fit into? What's a good place to work? Do a self-assessment. What are the skills that I have? Uh, you know, are you good with numbers? Are you good with your hands? And so, you know, the, the, maybe we know that neurosurgeons are making good money right now, but I'm not going to get there. I don't have 
12 years to go to medical school and all those other things that would be required. And I don't have the ability to pass the MCAT if I did. So what are the skills that I have and how could those be increased with the aptitudes God has given me? It may be to increase your marketability by gaining new skills and certifications uh, that aren't necessarily full-fledged degrees. Now you have to be careful there because a lot of those cost a lot of money and produce debt. So part of research is to find out, not just from that school, which will tell you all of our graduates get big paying jobs, but to do independent research is what can I expect? Contact employers. Okay, if I have the one-year certificate for such and such college and this kind of technology, would you hire me and what would you pay? Uh, some cases it may be good. Be careful. Uh, realize that you may not be able to pursue your dream career. My observation over... 30 plus years of adulthood, is there certain careers that attract more people than there are jobs? And, and the people I found that are really smart are the ones who find out some career I had never heard of before and pays a whole lot of money. And you, know, you may long to be an airplane pilot or you may long to be a college professor or you may long to be a pastor. I know more people in each of those categories who want those jobs than there are jobs. Doesn't mean you can't be the one, but I would advise you to have a plan B. I've seen some people who make their families suffer while they pursue their dream job of what they really want to do. And while it doesn't work out, they're living in poverty and all kinds of bad things are happening. So a godly person, not wrong to pursue your dream, but you have to be prepared to do what it takes to provide for your family and to meet the needs of your family, even if you don't like it. Um, have a backup plan. You know, in his heart, a man makes his plan. The Lord determines his steps. You can't make it happen. Uh, you may have to relocate to provide for your family. If the job isn't here, and you can believe me, as a pastor, I hate to say that because I don't want anybody to move away from here. But uh, if you have to go somewhere else to provide for your family, you may need to do that. Another principle of wisdom, do not quit job you have now before you get the next one. Uh, the best place from which to get a job is a person who has a job. It's hard to get a job when you're unemployed, as some of you know. And no matter how frustrated you are in your present job, don't quit unless they're making you do something immoral until you have the next job. I've, I've seen people who have been ruined by quitting a pretty good job and then going a long time without being able to get a decent job. Um, practical wisdom for the unemployed... I like this verse in Ecclesiastes. Sow your seed in the morning and do not be idle in the evening, for you do not know whether morning or evening sowing will succeed or whether both of them alike will be good. Good agrarian example, right? You, you, you plant in the morning, you plant in the evening, maybe one's going to die, the other's going to live. Uh, if you know, The world has changed in terms of employment, hasn't it? Uh, for my parents' generation... My dad, right out of college, goes to work for IBM. His friend maybe went to work for Enco or Exxon back then. And, and they would be there for a career. They'd get a pension, and that would be it. Now uh, people have several jobs. Companies are mail merging, failing. Uh, you know, Blockbuster, Chapter 11, no longer in its old form. You know, if you're out of work, your full-time job is to get a job. You should be working as many hours seeking work as you would work if you had a job. I see people who are out of work who often fill their time. It was the, one of the principles in management is that work expands to fill time, and they will fill their time with just kind of piddling around the house and not getting much done. Your job is to get a job. Sow your seed in the morning. Do not be idle in the evening. Um, 
you, you need to figure out a way to feed your family. Don't just rely upon having sent out a resume. And, and what often happens is somebody sets his heart, well, boy, that interview went great. They say they're going to call me back. And so you go into waiting mode. Don't do that. I can tell you most of those don't work. Okay, maybe you know one in 50 interviews works out, and maybe one in three of the ones where it all sounds wonderful. Uh, for some reason, he found a better guy after he interviewed you, or he can't get permission to hire you, or keep looking. Keep looking. Keep searching until you actually have a job. Not a promise. Promises don't put food on the table. Uh, go at it. I had a man call me several weeks ago and he's been out of work for some time and he was talking about somebody advised him to cash out all of his retirement savings and buy gold. And I said, no, go get a job. <laughs> your problem isn't whether you're invested in stocks, bonds, or metals. Your problem is you don't have income. And you need to be out there searching constantly. Uh, things you can do, uh, work on your resume. There are books that we have for sale there. Uh, not all of them are particularly Christian. Like, what color is your parachute? Is the multi-million selling secular job guide. But they have, you know, how do you make an eye-catching uh, resume? They also talk about your elevator speech. Elevator speeches. If you had two minutes in an elevator with the person you wanted to employ you, how do you sell yourself? How do you express your skills, your enthusiasm, the kind of job you want? And you, you may only get two minutes with the person who may hire you. And so, practice that. Um, obviously, you get people to look at your resume, misspelled words, inaccuracy, and then follow up. Uh, people are sending over the Internet millions and millions of resumes. Most of them are being ignored. Uh, in practical terms, most people get jobs through contacts and relationships, and these books talk about that as well. It's through networking. It means if you do get interviewed, to follow up, to be aggressive, you know, writing a thank you letter and calling. I mean, if they're not going to hire you, annoying them isn't going to hurt you anyway, right? Um, you know, in just going to employers. I've seen people get jobs where they say, this is where I want to work. And they go in there and say, I want to work for you. And even if they didn't have a, a sign outside saying help wanted. And then, you know, family, friends, where you studied, uh, just pursue it and, and don't give up. Uh, other counseling issues uh, that can come up. Uh, you know, when is it right to change jobs? It's a matter of freedom. Uh, as I said, be very careful. Certainly it's good. It, it used to be to get a raise, you could stay at the same company your life. But nowadays, many people to get an increase in promotion have to switch jobs, and that's just a reality of the economy. But be careful when you do so. Get advice. Um, you know, Issues we face in counseling. How do you counsel a sluggard? How do you counsel the spouse of a sluggard? Those are really challenging cases. I have not seen and count. I've seen adulterers repent. I've seen angry people turn meek. I'm not sure I've ever seen a sluggard change. It's hard, and it's harder on the spouse. Another thing in terms of counseling is just trying to encourage those who are downcast, put their hope in God, and to continue not to give up after a long period of employment. Um, and then sometimes it's counseling a workaholic. I had one of those not long ago. It's the guy who's working 14 hours a day, seven days a week. He needs to learn to trust God and not think everything depends upon him. So, before we take our break, just to summarize, 
According to the Bible, there is no legitimate easy money. What is the formula for making money according to the Bible? Work hard, work smart. You all got that. And then practically, what can you do? Well, you can work on both sides of that equation. It may mean working more jobs, more hours, extra jobs. The best thing you can do is change the other side of the equation to improve your skills, upgrade your skills, so that you're able better to provide for your family and for your needs. Let me pray before we take a break. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that things written thousands of years ago are wiser than what's often being taught in business schools and going forth in the media. Lord, I pray for those here today who are struggling with laziness, Lord, that you would give conviction and diligence for those who may be downhearted because of a long time of unemployment, that they would put their hope in you and sow their seed in the morning and in the evening. And Lord, that you would produce fruit from that. Help us as Christians to be a great blessing as Joseph was wherever he worked in, in Potiphar's house or in, in the prison, that he was a blessing to those who employed him. Help us to be a blessing to those who employ us, to provide great value for our labors to your glory. Lord, we pray for those who are just struggling to provide for their families. Lord, help them to see the skills you've given them and give them opportunity to use those skills. We thank you most of all in terms of our salvation that we have rest in Christ who has worked for us and even you've given us rest in this life because of him. We pray these things in his name. Amen.